Listeners, welcome back to the Business of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline London, and I have a fantastic guest that I'm thrilled to share with you. She is Frances Largeman Roth. She is the author of Everyday Snack Tray, among other fantastic titles that you should definitely check out on her website. I've linked that for you in the show notes today. Um, Everyday Snack Tray is easy ideas and recipes for boards that nourish for moments big and small. I love that title. I love this conversation. We get into everything about the process of writing a cookbook, what that process actually looks like, a lot of the behind the scenes, the nitty gritty. I really asked Frances to talk to us all about what her process was like and what it really, what, what is this experience of writing a book? How does that look in 2023 and what does it mean for future books, for future projects, for those of us in the healthcare field? What does it actually mean to put a piece of content out there and to get buy-in from a number of different stakeholders? I found the conversation totally fascinating. I learned a lot about what is different about writing a health book, which is something that I have experience in versus writing a cookbook and really some of the moving parts that I wouldn't have otherwise known if I hadn't had this chance to chat with Francis about it. I think you're going to love the episode. I'd love to hear what you think. I also have to say, because you'll hear me say this during the episode, but it, it's worth repeating in general. This makes a fantastic gift, Christmas gift, <laughs> holiday gift for anyone that is interested in food. I really think there's just so many little gems in here. There's so many great recipe ideas. And I had a blast chatting with Francis about it, but also reading the book. It, I really do recommend this strongly. So can't wait to hear what you think. Can't wait to hear what you think of the interview. And with that, I will let Francis get to talking. As always, you can find me at Jacqueline London RD across social media platforms and at Jacqueline London on TikTok. All right, enjoy today's episode and I'll see you on the other side of wellness. What a thrill to have you. I mean, really, every the author, the wonderful author and friend, Francis Lagerman-Roth with Everyday Snack Tray, you have much to tell us about. I mean, you have been very busy and you have a lot of things to tell us about. I have a ton to tell you, Jackie. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's so, so exciting to be here with, with a friend and a fellow dietitian and a fellow former magazine editor. We yes. have so much in common. <laughs> We really, we really do. It is sort of alarming. Francis, before we get into everything to do with the book, let's talk a little bit about your background because I feel like our listeners need to know who you are, what, what are you doing here? Where have you been all of their lives? <laughs> tell us, okay. tell us, tell us about you. So, okay. So I am a registered dietitian nutritionist, but I always wanted to write. So I went into the profession knowing that, and I actually, when I was still at Cornell, I went through the, you know, alumni network and I found a magazine editor, I believe they were at Woman's Day. And I called her up and I said, hey, if you're looking at the work of two different freelance writers and they're equally good, you know, equally well-written, but one is by an RD which one would you hire for a nutrition story? And she said, I would go with the RD. 
And I said, okay, bingo, I am applying to those dietetic internships and off I went. Um, but it really did help me decide to actually, you know, go through the, the curriculum and the program. Uh, and then I, so I became an RD, I moved out to San Francisco, I worked in a wellness clinic for about a year. Our clientele was primarily HIV and AIDS patients, and this was 1998. And so I've been a dietitian for a while. And that was a really eye opening experience. It was like, you know, jumped right in dealing with, you know, patients with all kinds of, you know, different, you know, a, a huge host of conditions, and learned a ton. But for Um, For family reasons, I moved back east and also because I learned that the Discovery Channel was launching Discovery Health. And if you remember, um, that was a whole channel on health, which was so exciting. And I pitched myself to them, even though I had zero clips, Jackie, zero. I had patient (laughs) handouts. But of course, I had been making patient handouts with a little bit of like a wink to them because of the population who I was working with in San Francisco, you know, you, I couldn't hand over something dry. It had to have a little humor to it. And so amazingly, amazingly, the discovery channel hired me as a writer, as a writer, you know, and amazing. I was thrilled. I, I was so in love with that job, which is why when they laid me off, I felt like I had been broken up with. Yeah. I can only imagine. Oh my gosh. I'm so impressed by that. I'm so impressed by that, that, that you really took it upon yourself to say, I really want to work here. This sounds like an amazing opportunity. I'm going for it. And you did, and it worked. So what happened after the fact? Where did so, you go yeah. So then I went to a small website called foodfit.com in DC. So I was already in DC, stayed in DC. Um, and was their managing managing editor for three years. So, you know, again, getting more sort of dot com experience under my belt, working with chefs. We did a lot, you know, took in a lot of chef recipes, which of course make no sense ever. And you have to have them make sense to a consumer. Right. And it was cool though. We had a chef on staff and it was run by these two women who had worked in government and had no business being in the dot-com space, but there we were. Uh, So, you know, as I'm doing that job and gaining experience, I really set my sights on working at a magazine. But what that meant was knowing that I had to leave DC and all these people I had made friends with and probably move to Birmingham Alabama, which is what I did when I got the job at health. Wow. What a move. I mean, that's not, that's not an insignificant move. I mean, we, I have a number of friends, but there's, they're few and far between, but a number of friends from the magazine world who moved to Birmingham, Birmingham from New York, which I think it probably is a little bit more stark than moving from DC, but still it's totally different cultures. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about our country. (laughs) We have so many cultures depending on geography. Oh yeah. So it was eye-opening. You know, I have brothers who live in Georgia, so I kind of knew about the South, but not really, not really. Um, And Birmingham is actually way more Southern than Atlanta, for example. Uh, But you know, they have great food in that town I learned a lot. It was it was a great cultural experience. Plus, you know, I got to get my feet wet 
at a magazine and start, you know, building up those skills. But again, I had never been to a photo shoot. I had never, you know, I, I just hadn't done all the things, you know, like I, right. I remember talking to somebody an an adult, like a real adult and saying, I really want this job, but I really don't have the actual experience. What should I do? And he was like, fake it, Francis. <laughs> Honest to God, fake it till you make it. You say that. Don't fake. act. <laughs> don't act like you don't know anything. Act like you know things, but just ask a lot of questions along the way. And so that's what I did. Instead of being like, I know nothing. Show me everything. I was like, oh, so what is this, you know, content management software all about? And, you know, really, uh, and they were so kind. They were so kind. And it was probably a softer immersion than it would have been in New York City. That's what I'm guessing. Right. So I was four years in Birmingham. And then I finally said to, we had a new editor in chief who was New York based. And I said, can I please? move to the city and she said sure we're not going to pay you anymore but yeah sure pack pack it up and mm-hmm. and I'll see you uh you know on sixth Ave. so that's what I did and then spent another four years at health before leaving because um at the time there was no working at home there was no, no. flexibility no there no <laughs> that does seem to be a relatively new phenomenon Wow. Wait a second. So can we go back to something that you mentioned before is that when you were in Birmingham, had you already, were you married? Did you get married in Birmingham? No. I got married while I was living in Birmingham, but didn't get married in Birmingham. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Amazing. So you were like, so you, so you get to New York and you're like, this is, I can't do this and also have my family and also man, I mean, I, I think about that all the time is that <laughs> I think of that as like one of the, the most impossible things. I think probably I could have worked at a magazine with one child. I mean, let me, let me actually, let me say this differently because I do have one child and she does have four legs. And now I have two children. They're, they're both four legged of the four legged variety. But when I got, <laughs> when she came home, I felt like this is good for my boundaries, right? Like this is good. This is healthy boundaries. But the truth is that with an animal, like you can, there's other things that you can do. You can find a dog walker. You can get people like there were, it didn't really help me set healthy boundaries of time, time specific boundaries. Right. But I feel like there's just so much more that goes into working at a magazine, working in media in general, in a full-time capacity where you're waiting around for, you're, you're often waiting around on other people's schedules that make it so hard for you to say, no, I, I, I have to, like, I literally have to get home right now. My child, I have no childcare or I do have childcare, but up until this point, and if it's going to go past that point and there's no control variables, right. It was so hard, Jackie. And basically I moved to New York and almost immediately got pregnant. <laughs> right. So there you go. So there, there's that. And, yeah. and, and the one kid, you're right. The one kid was way more manageable than the two kids. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where they were saying, look, we want you at your desk from nine in the morning till six. These were women telling me this yes. women who had children. Right. And I said, I said, but the daycare closes at 630. If I'm not on the train by 530, I won't get 
I won't get there back to Brooklyn in time to pick them up. And they said, well, you might have to hire a nanny in addition to having the daycare. And I was like, you know how much you're paying me. Right. You're not paying That's me the, the kind of money where I can have both of these things. I, I, it just exactly it became untenable. And I was like, after the second kid, I stayed for a while. And then I said, I'm out of here. And that's when I wrote Eating in Color. Wow. That is the perfect point. I just want to add that. I just want to, I just want to underscore that just for our listeners right now, which is like, that is the most amazing thing. And the audacity to say that to you. And I would get comments like that. Like everyone I knew and everyone I worked with would get comments like that all the time, whether you even had kids or not, which is like, can't you get so-and-so to do it? Or can't you, you know what I mean? Like there was like this assumption that you could afford to do just about anything, but no one can afford to do anything on the salary that is a magazine job salary. Like that just, that was true then. And it's not in New York, not in New York. Exactly. A hundred percent. Okay. So tell us about eating in color. So eating in color came out of me realizing that talking to people about how great broccoli is for them, how amazing blueberries are for them based on like what they'll do for you, you know, Oh, it's so great for your brain or, Oh, it's so amazing for anti-cancer. Especially if you're talking to children, Mm. they do not care. They don't care. It's going to make you strong. It's going to make you like, who cares? It doesn't, I don't like it. It doesn't taste good. It's yucky. It's green. It's whatever. So then I started realizing that if I turn the conversation more to color and let's see how many colors we can get on your plate and Ooh, look how pretty that is when we mix the strawberries into your yogurt, you know, and things like that that resonated much more. And that's not just true for kids. It's true for adults too. Now, you know, now you look on Instagram, all these things are all over the place, but I wrote that book in 2014. And some of these ingredients were still a little fringe, like chia seeds and dragon fruit and, you know, watercress. Um, But that's really what it was all about. It was like, here's the ingredient. Here's why it's so good for you. Here's how to store it. Here's how to use it. And then, you know, here's a recipe for, uh, for getting that color on your plate. So that was a really fun book. But what I learned was that just because the book is written up in shape magazine, and even if you get a today show segment, guess what? That doesn't translate to book sales. Francis, you said it. Thank you. I need, I needed that. We all need to hear that validation. Oh my God. Okay. Tell us more about, you need to explain more about this. I say this all the time. I feel like I'm a broken record. I'm like tired of hearing myself talk about how these things don't translate into sales, but I still, I, I need, I need your perspective in depth. Tell us. So I didn't really, I didn't really get it. You know, I did not get it because I had written a book. Well, first of all, I had written the car, co-written the carb lovers diet, which was a bestseller. It was a New York times bestseller. I wrote that in conjunction with the team at health when Mm. I was there and their marketing machine turned it into a bestseller, which was so exciting. You know, it was, it was a thrill. Wait, Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What year was that? Just because I feel like this will help. 2010. 2010. Okay. So this makes all of the sense. So anyone listening and thinking like, oh, well, the carb lovers diet, like that sounds kind of fun. I think like, can you think of a more brilliant title just right there for a 2010 book? Can't personally can't. No. And what it was really based on was resistant yes. starch. 
Right, of that's, course. That, yeah, that was the magic behind it. And I had done a little book, um, Feed the Belly, pregnant, uh, the Pregnant Mom's Healthy Eating Guide right. prior to the Carb Lover's Diet. And, yeah. and it sold, you know, it wasn't a bestseller, but it sold and nobody made me feel bad about, you know, how many <laughs> copies it didn't sell or whatever. Um, it was, it, it did well, it did well enough, right. you know, it did yeah. well enough. So then, so then I think what happened was the expectations were set high because I, I was a bestseller. Yeah. Right. And so then when I did Eating in Color and it didn't fly off the shelves, it was like, well, guess what, Francis? This is what I was actually told. Oh God. You cannot, you cannot do another book. No. You cannot do another book. This is what I'm saying. I, I think like in some ways, and I wonder what your take on this is also, is that in some ways, I think to have a bestseller, it, especially to have a bestseller as your first book, right? Or to have something, even if it wasn't a bestseller, let's say it still did really well. Like, let's just say it was really popular. There's this a little bit of like these golden handcuffs, like this strange expectation that you're going to like, that you can control the market somehow. And especially without looking at the fact that you had an entire marketing team behind you that was really trying to push this product. So of course it was going to be a bestseller. Like that makes complete sense, especially because like, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking carb lovers, what was it? Carb lovers diet. Sorry. The Carb Lover's Diet. And then really we had the Carb title. Lover's Diet cookbook. And right? we had like workbooks and we had extra stuff. Yeah, totally. we had a we had an app. We had an app for it. Oh my yes. God. That's yes. really amazing. That's really yeah. amazing. Yeah, so it was it was a cool experience, but what it left me with was right. Well, okay, well, crap. Now what do I do? Right. Because I want to do more books. And so a friend of mine who is a literary agent, she was like, Francis, I have to tell you that other person is right. What you're going to have to do if you do want to do another solo book is you're going to have to do, you're going to have to pair up with somebody and do a book, maybe somebody with a bigger platform than you, or maybe you're going to have to do a book with a brand or you know, some, something where they can be the, 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 the people behind it selling it. And so I was like, God, none of that sounds like anything I want to do. But then I did get an opportunity to do a couple books with prevention. Okay. Amazing. And I thought about it and, you know, like all of those work for hire things, you're not going to make a lot of money, mm -hmm. but, um, but they can be great opportunities. So they happen to be smoothie books, um, mm. smoothie, you know, smoothies are sort of, um, maybe they come and go or like the popularity comes and goes, but they're a generally sort of, they're, they're like part of the wellness culture now. Absolutely. And people are always looking for ideas. And um, one of the concepts for, for one of the books was basically like smoothies for different health issues. So good skin, um, fitness, mm. anti-inflammation. So there was like a reason for being for the smoothies and those books did well. I don't really know how much they sold because again, I was just the writer. I was not really? the owner. So they did something for me because then I was able to sell everyday snack tray after that. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing, this is amazing. And I have to go back to this also, because I think that this is like, you just said it, you were like, I'm the writer. Like I, I'm the person behind it. I just think about this. Um, 
a friend of mine asked me this and she also, she's been a former, a former podcast guest actually. Um, and it's a perfect, it's the perfect question. And I think that people misunderstand this about dietitians all the time, which is that, um, my friend asked me this question once and was like, are you, would, would you consider yourself a product person or a brand person? Mm. And my instant response to that is I'm a product person, right? Like, and I, I'm sure that you feel the same way when you're the writer, when you're the person behind it, when your blood, sweat and tears is going into recipe development, or you're like, like me, like elbow deep in 25 different PubMed tabs, just so that you can write one sentence or (laughs) you're like, or you tried to finish a sentence about 45 different times. And now you're like, you've, you've second guessed yourself on everything, right? Like you feel deeply like the product person, right? But our current economy and world and marketing-driven everything requires us to be brand people too. But I think it's important to say that like dietitians are not necessarily born brand people, right? Like we're born, like our training is product. Like our training is we're the product. Like we're, this is the product. Everything that goes into the training, the experience, the education is product is like there to help people help themselves, right? Right. Most often. And in some cases, in in clinical cases, we're just there to help people because they can't actually help themselves, right? So there's just so much that goes into that. And it drives me crazy that like, even the concept that's like, you can't write another book because you're the product person. You are not supposed to be the marketing engine. No one told you that you had to be the marketing engine, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Drives me crazy. Right. But you know, It takes sometimes years to be able to go back and look at something with a, you know, and and be able to like pick it apart in a way that doesn't like hurt your heart. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so when I go back and I look at eating and color, which still, I still would say has amazing information. The photos are gorgeous, all that stuff. Two things stood out to me. One, there was not a photo for every recipe. And this is true for many books. However, we know that people really like photos, right? That's why they like to find recipes online because generally there's a photo that goes with every recipe. Um, The other thing was, even though it was marketed as a book for families, and that was also in the subtitle, on the cover was a lovely photo of a kale salad with watermelon radishes which was a beautiful photo, but it didn't really scream kids or families or family style. And I was like, huh, that's a good learning. Uh, If I ever do a book again, and if it's in the family space, it's going to look like a family book on the cover. And every single recipe is going to have a photo. Amazing. I love that. And that's, that's what I like, did. And that's, <laughs> that's why she's here, folks. Okay. But I mean, that's what I love about Francis also. It's like you have really, like, you really studied that. You made really distinct and carefully calculated choices in order to create this new product and to be able to say, like, this is what I would have done differently. But, you know, I still, there's still this part of me that kicks and screams for you because I, I feel like justice for, <laughs> justice for being in color. Okay. People still need recipes, even if there's no photo, you know, like I get it. I get it. I get it. I do get it. But you know, it's like, there's something about that, that, that still hurts my heart, but I love you for the the fact that you were like, I'm still going to take this and make something positive out of it. And you absolutely did. 
and look at every, oh, hold it up again. Hold it up, <laughs> hold it up for me again. No one else can see it, but where I have to see it. Okay. Beautiful. Everyday snack tray. All right. So tell us, let's get into a little bit of the inspiration for this. Let's talk about, let, let's talk about the creative process for this. And then we'll get into more of the sort of publishing process, but what, what inspired this idea? Because it's a brilliant idea. And I think about it all the time. And I didn't realize until even speaking to you many months ago, I think about it, that when you were already working on it, that this is like, this is literally how I eat all the time, <laughs> how everyone I know seems to eat. And it's the most fun way to eat. Like it truly is. I'm sorry. It is. It is. If you're a kid, it is. If you are in your nineties, like everything about this is such a more, it's so much more fun to be able to put lots of things together. It's basically like girl dinner, but on steroids. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly, Jackie. The new phrase. This is the new catchphrase for the book. Girl right. dinner on steroids. Girl dinner on steroids. Well, so you're right. Not only is it a really fun way to eat, it's also a really easy way to entertain. Yeah. Right? 100%. Especially around the holidays and especially when you have other stuff going on or kids or whatever. Like, you know, different levels of, of culinary knowledge, cooking skills, all that. Um so it really came out of when my kids, I had three little kids and little kids only eat little bits of things. And so I would have food left over. My husband would be like, throw it out. And I would say, no, 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 I'm saving it. Yeah. Got my, you know, my steamed broccoli, you know, I've got my chicken tenders, whatever they were. And I would save it. And I realized, you know what? One day I said, I'm not going to put it on plates. I'm going to put it out in little bowls. Mm -hmm. little ramekins because mm -hmm. I just had little bits of things and my kids ate more. They ate more of the different mm -hmm. foods than they would have if it was on a plate. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And then I started putting things on a tray. I would put the little ramekins on a tray and didn't really think so much about like, is it pretty or whatever? Just it's on a tray. Um, and I started doing that for snack time. And then my kids started asking for snack trays for their birthdays. And, you know, as I had a little more time, they got a little bit more elaborate. I started having fun with it, getting creative, cutting fruit into different shapes. And, you know, I had these uh, mustache cookie cutters and I would cut out shapes in watermelon and put it on a big stick so they could walk around with their mustache on a stick. You know, I mean, I just went a little wild because sometimes being a dietitian makes you yeah. feel like you're in a, in a box. Yeah. And this was yeah. my way to be creative. Um, and so then I started posting them on Instagram and certain people would say, Oh my gosh, I have to give a shout out to Don Jackson Blattner. She said, this should be your next book. And I was like, really? I don't know. And then I just finally sat down on an airplane and wrote my proposal and sent it off to my literary agent and got a nibble, you know, Amazing. you get a nibble and you're like, yes. okay, this is a real thing. People are responding. It's resonating. And so there you go. And then it was a question of how do you how do you organize it? And yeah. that became, let's look at this in a seasonal light. And also the publisher wanted, they didn't just want the snack trays. They wanted some narrative mm. along with it. And I was like, yes. oh, I really hadn't thought about that. So yeah. that's why there's the sort of explanation 
of why this snack tray came together or what occasion would you make this for or how to make it your own. And, and that's why there's all that front of the book stuff about, um, you know, snack tray rules, which by the way, there aren't any. Uh, <laughs> I love, by the way, the snack tray rules, I think are my favorite part of the book because they really made me chuckle. And I love that you say that. I love that that's so upfront. It's like the first, it's pretty much the first page of the book is like, here are the rules for making a snack tray. There aren't any. And then Francis lists a number of kind of best practices that I'd, I'd love to hear from you. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. So it, it turned into more than what I initially intended it to be, which is great. And I, I wrote it in six weeks, Jackie, Amazing. which was definitely a first Amazing. for me. Yeah. Um, but you realize as a writer that, you know, it's like, you really want to do something you're told, okay, we need it by this date because it has to, you know, all the things have to happen, has to go through the editorial process, has to get shot. If you want yeah. photos has to get designed, laid out and designed, and then has to get sent to China and come back on a boat and it all takes months and months and months. So um, you're sort of at their whim in terms of the timing, but if you want to do it, you do it. <laughs> it's, it's also like, I think it really speaks to the fact that it was something truly born out of love, because even if, even if someone gives you a deadline, if you're like, <laughs> I really hate this. <laughs> oh, right. You're right. It really be you're so, so right. hard to get it. But you were like, I love this topic. And it, it is something that comes easily and naturally to me because you're already doing it. You know what I mean? Like there's some real beauty and power in that. Yeah. And you're so right. When people have asked me, uh, you know, somebody who's interested in writing a book and they start asking questions about, should I do it? I don't know. It's so time yeah. consuming. I say, look, if you are passionate about the topic, you should do it. If you're not passionate about the topic, or maybe somebody has asked you to write a book about something and you really don't give a shit, right. don't do it. Don't Just do it. don't do it because you will it. be miserable. You'll be miserable. And yes. it, it requires so much energy and time that if you don't have a love for the subject, it really is difficult to do. Completely agree. Completely agree. What... So, okay. So this started with, this was six weeks of your hard earned input. I mean, six weeks pedal to the metal, Francis at the desk, yes. writing all the things. What is your process yeah. like for recipe development? Like, where do you start? And I'm always curious about this because I do zero recipe development. So I, I always find this to be the most fascinating thing because everyone seems to come at this a little bit differently, but have some somewhat, there's some similarities between, you know, those who I've talked to who, who are really real experts in recipe development, like yourself. I just, I, for me, it feels overwhelming and scary. <laughs> So tell us, tell us about it. What does it look like? How do you start when it comes to actually yeah. making recipes for a book like this? So I had the framework of seasons, right? Yeah. So I already knew that I had certain things that I wanted to do, like a holiday morning snack tray. Mm. Um, so there were a couple of things that I had created for Instagram that I knew could go in the book. Yeah. And then you start going, well, okay, what happens in winter? What happens in winter is you have all the holidays and then you get extremely bored and extremely cold, at least here in New York state. Yes. Yes, you do. So then what extremely are the other cold things? Is the, the perfect, <laughs> the perfect way to say it. Yes. I, it's like you're right. cold, you're sad and it's dark all the time. What, what yes. else is there? 
Right. So, so you eat. Um, So then I realized, okay, so then a hot chocolate tray and then uh, how about a, how about a charcuterie, you know, the little jars. Yes. Because that's a fun thing to do that makes you feel like, oh, spring might come again someday. Um, So then, you know, again, kind of started with occasions, but then as you saw when you looked through the book, Jackie, there are holidays, but then there are truly everyday celebrations, like tough day at school, okay? How do we deal with the tough day at school? Or a sleepover, or, you know, your kid has a soccer championship, um, and you want to put snacks together for the team. What are those snacks going to be? How are they going to look on the tray? Um, So then again, okay, so let's really talk about the recipe developments part of it. Uh, For example, the spring fling, spring Mm. fling tray, or no, staycation, not spring fling, staycation. So that's all about having everything look really tropical when you actually can't go anywhere, you know, and you're like, you know what, guys, let's make our own fun. So there is a, I knew I wanted some kind of a, of a um, yogurt parfait, on that tray and I knew I wanted bright colors and it just so happened that somebody had sent me dragon fruit chips and I was like okay that's great I'm going to incorporate the dragon fruit chips into that so sometimes it starts with an ingredient that you know you want to use and sometimes it's more about like I want something to look a certain way yeah and then how am I going to achieve that And it's, I mean, sometimes after all, you know, after all my experience, sometimes it really does work on the first try, but usually you're making something twice or three times. Oh, okay. Wait, I want to go back to dragon fruit chips. Yeah. So when you're, so when you're in this process now, okay. Now I think about something and this takes me right back to magazine days, right? Like I think about, um, uh, another good example of this would be like watermelon, watermelon seeds. Have you tried right. these? like watermelon? Seeds? Okay. So like there's yes. one brand in particular that I'm thinking of that makes, that produces watermelon seeds at scale for the U S consumer. Are you thinking like, are do you name, cause I didn't get far enough into the recipes to be able to speak to this. So forgive me for that. But I, but do you yeah. name brands in this or are you going? With, I do. Okay. You do. And, and I do, I do. And how was that? Like, what was that choice? Like, because I, I've always struggled with this, by the way. And in dressing on the side, I named a zillion brands and I, I still did absolutely zero because I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't have any of the understanding. Like I did zero activation with these brands because I just thought these are the brands I use. These are the brands I recommend. Like I wanted to write the book that was really meant for people to be able to pick up, like as if they were my client, you know what I mean? Like I, right. I my mindset. So tell us about that choice because I feel like it is now like a much more. And if I, if I, by the way, I say that because if I could do it again, I would choose differently. I would, I would be a little bit more judicious and more conscious of how I was making those choices. But, um, but I, but I think it's interesting to just understand like that kind of business mindset is that that can be a choice that you make sort of in a, I, for lack of a better word, kind of blind way, like I was, <laughs> or you can be like Francis, Francis, who made a conscious choice to include brands. But I think you probably did that really strategically based off of what types of ingredients would be available and from whom. Exactly. You know, and so first of all, we know that the consumer does not want to go to the store and scratch their head and right. go, 
Does you know, so they want as many specifics as possible. So if you say a tortilla, is it a corn? Is it a flour? What size? Right. So you're giving them as many specifics as possible. And for me, if it's something that is a specific product, I'm going to include as much information as possible, including the brand name. But of course, you always say such as right? Because you're not saying it has to be that one, you know, and, um, you know, I call out Justin's, you know, uh, peanut butter chocolate cups, because I particularly like them. They are, they're so good. (laughs) And they are a brand partner. Of course, you could use a different one, or maybe you're allergic to nuts, and you want to use a sunflower butter one, you know, and so you try to give people as many reasons to make it as possible. Yes. Right. Don't leave them wondering, oh, where am I going to get that? And I have a resource section in the back too. Where'd she get those sprinkles? Where'd she get those, Mm -hmm. you know, funny little hats that she put on the birthday tray, you know, all those kinds of things. Because um, we know that there's like the magic that comes from a, from a food shoot, from a professional photo shoot, right? I had an amazing prop stylist. Amazing. Her name is Maeve Sheridan and she makes everything look so inviting and special. Um, An amazing food stylist, Mira Evnine, who, you know, took something that I could make look pretty darn good. And then she made it look like, wow, and spectacular. And then of course, you know, a, a wonderful photographer, Lauren Volo, who has beautiful lighting and, you know, can set up the shot just perfectly. So again, I don't want people to be like, okay, I bought all the things and now why does it not look like (laughs) the book? So you just want to provide all the information and all of the extra little tidbits so that people feel like they can actually, actually execute it at home. hundred percent. 100%. 100%. Oh my gosh, I love this. This makes me that much more excited to get to all of these recipes. All right. So you so you go through a process. You mentioned testing three times. Tell our listeners about the process of the three the three time test. <laughs> yeah. So there were things that I created, for example, a a homemade caramel sauce, which mm-hmm. honestly when we have um when we have our, you know, ice cream social I'm not necessarily making that each and every time. However, the genesis of that is like, these are meant to be fairly quick to put together, right? A caramel sauce is something you can make in advance. And I do truly believe that it's so much better than what you can get in a jar, right? Because what you can get in a jar is super sweet. It's just too sweet. It's too sweet. So I had actually never made homemade caramel sauce before. So, you know, it is the kind of thing that you can like, you can heat it too quickly or too high. And then you basically burn the sugar and it tastes like, tastes burnt. Right. Right. So, you know, you, you can't always on the first try of something, get it just right. So that took me a couple of tries, but the whole premise of the book is that you make one thing and everything else is store-bought, right? Mm. So it's, you know, and, and honestly, even if you didn't want to make that one homemade thing, you can still put the tray together. Like you could still make the ice cream social thing without the homemade caramel sauce. But I just try to think of like, what would really elevate this particular yeah. tray. And for me, it wasn't churning my own ice cream 
which, you know, again, requires special equipment. Not everybody has it, you know, uh, and also if it's hot out, you want the ice cream, right? So, but it was more like, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just bring it to me. Exactly. Um, so yeah. And and of course you want people to try the recipes, Yeah, you know, it might taste great to me, but maybe not to somebody else. And for example, my kids really love um, cream cheese frosting, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't like it that sweet, maybe because yeah. their mother is a dietitian. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I will often take a recipe and cut the sugar in half. Yeah. It still is plenty, plenty sweet. Um, I'm not big on using, personally, I'm not big on using artificial sweeteners. Mm -hmm. um, So I would just rather use less. So for example, there was a a cupcake recipe with frosting that is a combination of cream cheese and buttercream. And the editor said, this doesn't look like it has enough sugar in it. Just basing it off of frostings I've made um, are you sure that it's this, that this is the right amount? So then I would go back, make it again, yeah. taste it again and say, well, you know what? It tastes right to me, mm-hmm. but maybe, maybe she's right that the general public would want a slightly sweeter frosting. So then you have to keep all those things in mm-hmm. mind, you know, and, um, and so, you know, went back, tweaked it, but I mean, luckily, luckily when you have been doing this for so many years, you kind of know how to troubleshoot. You also, I also learned that like, if you're in the middle of something and it's not going well, or maybe you're, they just called you from the school and you have to go pick up your sick kid or whatever, you actually can leave things halfway done. You know, I used to, when I started, have this mindset of like, I've got to make this start to finish for it to actually work. No, no, no. You could mix up dry ingredients, cover them up, leave it for tomorrow. So you learn different. I don't work with an assistant. I do not. I I think maybe someday, maybe someday, Jackie, um, (laughs) that would be nice. I also don't have a separate kitchen. Right. Many people who do this for a living have, they have a separate kitchen or they, or they like rent out yeah. a kitchen to do their recipe testing so that they have like, this is home and this is work. I don't have that. Wow. So you know what I do all day long making post-it notes, do not touch, no touch, <laughs> do not eat. <laughs> That sounds like, listen, that whatever works, Francis, you know what I mean? Oh like, that's it. That's it. I mean, it's really amazing. I, first of all, I'm so incredibly proud of this process and the fact that you have accomplished this and the fact that you found this, I, I hate this word, but I have to use it because it's the only one coming to mind right now. This niche, like this real niche of like, this is something that is accessible, but also I can make elevated and have something that makes it feel a little bit more special. I, I just feel like that's so rare to find in cookbooks in general and, and also in our field in general, like it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot about nutrition. And I find myself saying this all the time. Like there's so much about nutrition that can, that sometimes despite the very complex scientific topic behind it is actually very simple, right? Like it's actually in reality, like the basics of preventative health are pretty simple, but we just, it's just a question of actualizing on those things and how to really do that 
really requires something like everyday snack trade, which actually brings you to a more elevated, more fun, more engaging experience that you can also kind of share. Not, not just the final product, but I would imagine also the putting together of the ingredients, the putting together of the trays themselves. And as you mentioned, you don't have to cook if you don't want to actually cook, but I love that finality. You know what I mean? I love that you have something for everybody in doing that. Um, I wonder if you have a favorite, I mean, I feel like that might be like picking a favorite child, (laughs) but like, do you ever get, were you like, this is the most fun thing I've made so far? Or are you, or are you like, no, these are all pretty fun. Like I'm not gonna, can't pick favorite. Oh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it is hard to pick a favorite for sure, but I did just make the holiday morning snack tray this weekend um, because I was making a reel and it happens to be a very easy one. You make peppermint whipped, homemade peppermint whipped cream. So again, you're taking something that maybe you normally buy in a can, but it's easy to make. I mean, it's so easy that I actually, I showed my son Leo the next day how to make whipped cream. And I'm like, it's one ingredient, dude. And then you can sweeten it. (laughs) And I was like, and I just taught you a life lesson. And now you will always know how to make homemade whipped cream. But anyway, you, you make the homemade whipped cream and then you get, uh, you know, frozen waffles, frozen mini pancakes. You open up a pomegranate. I happened to have all these beautiful pomegranates on hand. Cause I've, okay. you know, been, been working with them on my book promo stuff. Um, you make some Turkey bacon and you put out some jam and some maple syrup And it's this lovely thing. And literally, you know, my kids came home, my daughter came back from a track meet, all of it was gone. And all I had to do was like, because I always tell people they should line their trays with parchment, pick up the parchment, put it in the trash. You know, it's just, I was like, it's so satisfying to me because they love it. They love it. And it makes sense to them that this goes with this. And I put a little bit of this on this. So I think, you know, all the ones with toppings are really fun. Um, and whether that's like the Father's Day one with the hot dogs with all the toppings <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, gosh, just even like the ice cream one that I mentioned yeah. where you're like, oh, I'm so excited because not only do I get to do sprinkles, I get to do sprinkles and strawberries and walnuts and, you know, as many as I want all together. But Gosh, I think I'd have to at least pick yeah. one from each season yes, to feel like say, I was doing it <laughs> justice. You know, there's a fall fest one that's so fun that I turned into a whole snack table because, you know, you've got your apples and your pears, but then you also have your donut holes and your hot pitcher of cider and cheeses and a baguette. And it's really like, I really uh, did a lot of imagining too, like, Who's coming to this? Who's coming right. to my event? Yeah. Is it just family or are friends coming? Are neighbors coming? Are they standing around? What do they want? What would they want in their hand? Well, they would want a cup of hot cider totally. and, you know, a donut hole and some candied walnuts. And, you know, so look, for me, this was really just so much fun to put together. And I think. It's like when you, when you can experience that joy in work, there's gotta be, you must be doing something right. (laughs) hundred percent. A hundred percent. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but just to kind of, now that we're, we're sort of on the tail end of our time together, I want you to, to take some of the things that you've 
already said and and help us put this together so that if someone is listening to this and they're like I don't know should I write this book or like like yeah I you know like I listen to Francis and I'm thinking I could but should I (laughs) what what are like are there some of of the things that you have learned particularly from this book because this one as you said it was so much fun to do but like, what else would you give? Like, what's the kind of advice that you would give to someone who is kind of wondering right now, should I, should I do that? Should I pursue this next book proposal? Should I pursue it? my first book proposal? What would be your top tips? Well, you do have to look at what's out there, right? Yes. Because even if you feel like I can do it better, right. you have to, you have to look at what's out there and you almost don't want to look at what's out yes, there because you don't want to compare yourself. <laughs> you, you, you want to be original. But, you know, whether that's going to Barnes and Noble or whether that's going online and looking up whatever your topic is, you know, maybe you're looking at like youth defying foods or something like that. See who has already written about it and see what their, you know, at least you can look at the table of contents online. You don't necessarily have to go buy all these books, but you can look at the table of contents. Maybe they have approached it in a totally different way than you would, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you're going to bring something brand new to the table, but, you know, in a proposal, they do make you look at the, you know, your competition. And so you, you're going to have to do that either way. Um, And there have been topics that I've looked at in the past where I was like, you know what, there really is plenty on the market for this particular topic. So eh, probably another book in this realm is not going to work. But for me, yes, there were charcuterie books. So mm-hmm. this is not a charcuterie book. I don't make salami roses. I don't, um, that's not <laughs> what I'm into. Plenty of people are into that and have written about it. Um, I also <laughs> don't do like little tiny, at least for this book, little tiny bites of food. Some some of these books are more sort of appetizer driven, yeah. right? And so I, I, I realized there wasn't something that was coming from the family perspective. And that was really... Um, more about doing like thematic trays and also where you only had to make the one recipe. You know, some of them you have to make everything, which I think is honestly uh, just overwhelming for most people and nobody has time. Right. And it's kind of demotivating when you see something that's so overwhelming like that. All right. What else? You look at, you look at what's on the market. That's your first step. What, what's your second step? Maybe you'll give us well. If it's a, if it's a trend, if it's something that is trending, you have to think how quickly could I get this to market? So, you know, luckily between the time that I pitched this March of 22 to now, you know, it came out November 28th of 23. Luckily the whole uh, board trend has stayed with us. It has just morphed many times. If you remember butterboards and, you know, girl dinner, girl dinner is also part of this trend for sure. So, and, and what that comes out of is really Gen Z is, is driving a lot of food trends and uh, as well as TikTok. um, And they want things that are fun, that are easy, that maybe don't even require plates. Yes. Yes. The things that are like lowest lift, but highest amount of customization. I think you're totally spot on on that. So you have to know that like from the time that you create an idea, it's going to be probably a year and a half 
possibly longer, right? Mm. So you want something that has legs that's going to stick around for a while and not be flash in the pan. Mm. Uh, So that would be another tip. And then choose the team. If you can choose the team who is going to work on the book, that is ideal. And honestly, I wouldn't have been able to do this particular book had I not been a magazine editor, had I not worked at photo shoots and hired photographers and stylists and put shot lists together, even though that was like so hard to learn, yeah. you know, um, it, because it requires personalities and like paying attention to trends and all these things that I, as a dietitian, I had never done before. Right. Um, they were hard earned skills that really are serving me now. I love that. I love everything about that. All right, Francis, we end this podcast with the question of, of the podcast, which is the off the, off the cuff, off the top of your head, the most annoying trend, the most annoying thing, trend, anything that you have seen in wellness, quote unquote, wellness this year, or perhaps in the last five years, feel free to answer. Okay. Well, this year, the, uh, what, okay. The name of the trend is escaping me, but it's taking a really huge water cup, like a Stanley water cup that's this big, and then adding not just water, but flavoring to it. And I didn't even, or glitter, and I didn't even know that these flavorings glitter. exist. It's water glitter talk. is a lot. Water talk. Water yeah. talk. So, but, but yes, like you could go into a store like Target and find Skittle flavoring to yeah. put in your water or like Krispy Kreme flavoring to put in your it's water. And I, I didn't know this. Yeah. It is, it's very fascinating. People were making, like devoting entire cabinets to these gigantic water bottles. And then I realized my nine-year-old is asking for a Stanley water. I'm like, what? It is, it has trickled down to these young grade school kids Hopefully they're not doing it as a diet trend, Jackie. Hopefully they're just like fascinated by these pretty water bottles. But um, obviously hydration is great. We love hydration. Yes, Hydrate all day long, but it doesn't have to have other stuff in it. I mean, does it look so amazing? I mean, honestly, like of all the, listen, if it, like, and this is my thing too. I'm totally with you, Francis. Like this, it's gone out of control. And I know what you mean, because when you said the glitter, I just had this image of exactly this one type of, it's not a Stanley, but it's like a Stanley. And it is the largest thing I've ever seen. And it's filled with glitter, like on the outside. This isn't, this isn't drinkable glitter listeners. This is not a drinkable thing, but like, I know exactly what you're talking about. The vessel itself is covered in glitter. And I'm like, this looks like a unicorn threw up. Like, like, there's nothing. I don't want to drink anything out of this. I feel intimidated, but if that's helping somebody else, I'm like, yeah, good for you. Drink your water. Love it. But I'm totally with you. The, The number of flavors has gotten somewhat out of control. We can't be doing Krispy Kreme water. It's weird. It doesn't taste right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, so that to me was the most like head, that was the head scratching of them all. I'm so glad you added that to our, to our repertoire, really. I mean, I'm really collecting these now. And I have to say that one really, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful addition. (laughs) Francis, where can people find Everyday Snack Day? Where can people find you and learn more about the book and about you? Thank you for asking. They can go to my website, FrancisLargemanRoth.com. They can check me out on Instagram at Francis L. Roth. 
RD. And then of course the book is everywhere books are sold, including Amazon and Target and Walmart. Amazing. We're going to link to it here also. Francis, thank you so much for being here. This is such a treat. You've totally made my day and I can't thank you enough. Jackie London. I love you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.